Good morning. Uh, if, if I've not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Rodney. I've uh, been here on staff since my family moved here earlier this year. This is our first fall that we get to enjoy Asheville, and we're loving it, especially now that the weather is finally changing. Uh, I was getting ready to call false advertising on uh, Asheville for a little while there. Uh, summer just kept going, uh, but then I would check check my app and uh, where we moved from in Texas. It's going to be approaching 90 today, and it's been regularly in the 90s, so uh, we're, we're doing just fine uh, here. So, um, Weather is one of those things that I, I really like. I really enjoy good weather, but it's not one of those things that I would say needs to be a top priority in my life. Uh, I, I've been working through a book uh, pretty slowly uh, in most mornings uh, that, that is asking me and challenging me to identify my priorities. What are, what are the roles and the responsibilities that I have at this point in my life? And as I'm thinking through my, my family, my role here at New Life, socially, any part of my life, what, what role do I have? And in that role, what responsibilities do I have? And, and how do I get those priorities clarified, identified, and then put into my life? Which has been a lot easier said than done, honestly. It's been a little bit of a challenge to, to really put pen to paper and, and clarify those things. Uh, but I'm hoping that as I do that, that will kind of give order and shape to what my average days look like, my average weeks. Um, and while I'm not going to ask you to do that today, I'm not going to lead you through an exercise where you're identifying your your top priorities, I'd like you to think about what are the handful, the, the, the short list of things in your life that are your key priorities, your, the top things that you're about. Maybe it's your family, maybe it was centered around your career, something you enjoy doing. Maybe it'd be something about your faith, maybe it'd be certain relational commitments that you have, but what would those be? That those things be that would be your top priorities, your, your kind of short list? All of us have them, whether we can clearly and easily identify them or not, uh, whether we'd be proud to share them or ashamed to share what they honestly truly are, uh, we all have them and operate by them. Now, what about God? Have you ever thought, what are God's priorities? We, we could take a lot of time this morning and, and go through Scripture and probably identify a good number of things that we would say are important to God or His priorities, but what would you say are like his top three or four? I mean, what are the things that are on God's heart, on God's mind, and that he wants his people to be about? So it should be us individually, us as a church at New Life, and then the, the big C church, the universal church around the world, all followers of Jesus. Well, if we can identify those things, we, would be, we should be able to say, look, those need to work their way into our lives. They need to be part of what our priorities are as a church. And we're going to look at one of those this morning. That's our topic for today is one of God's most critical priorities. And we could maybe argue this is his number one priority, but let's just say for, for now, this is on his short list, okay? So if God were going to make a, a mixtape, okay, if you grew up in the 80s or 90s, you had mixtapes, right? If he were to make a mixtape with songs about his top priorities, this would be on it, okay? And I think this would be on side A, okay? Uh, if you don't know what a mixtape is, ask somebody who looks a little bit older than you and they'll probably show you and tell you, well, this is who gave me this mixtape and why it's important and what songs they put on it and they could proceed to sing some really bad music to you probably. Um, so this morning we're gonna look together at God's word and, and discover what is one of those things that's in God's top few priorities, one of the most urgent priorities he has for those of us who are his 
people. Now, in this series of messages that we've been talking about, God's heart for all nations or all peoples. Uh, Chris started us two weeks ago in Genesis 12 with the call of Abram and, and how God intended to bless him, this one guy from the Middle East, and take him and bless him, and that through him, he would bless all the other peoples of the earth. And then last week, Ranjit led us into the heart of the Old Testament in Psalms, and we saw that that theme developed even more, that God has blessed his people greatly, but he's done so for a purpose, not as an end in itself, but so that his people would then be a blessing to all the other nations, all the other people. So it's a huge task, but as, as Ranjit brought up for us last week, it's motivated by joy, the hope that we have in Christ as we align ourselves with, with what is deep in the heart of God. So today, as we move into the New Testament in this, this four-week stretch during our missions month, uh, we're going to look at something even more specific on that theme and look at one of God's top priorities in some tangible ways that he wants his people to be involved in it. So if you have a Bible with you, if you'd open to Romans chapter 15, Romans 15, if it's in the New Testament, so towards the back of your Bible, or if you're uh, on your app, just keep scrolling, it's, it'd be closer to the bottom, uh, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels, and then Acts, the next book is Romans chapter 15. Now Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome. He had not met these guys and, and these ladies at this point. Uh, he, so he goes into great depth about the gospel because he had not had time with them to really detail these things out. He wrote them a letter. The gospel si simply means good news, and specifically the good news about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. And then he goes deeply into that in this letter and then gives the implications for our lives. So we're going to pick up in chapter 15, near the end of the letter, where, where Paul explains Christ's work among both Jews and Gentiles, which is just the non-Jewish peoples. It, it, this word Gentiles could also be translated nations or peoples. So your, your translation as you read along might say nations or peoples, uh, or it may say Gentiles. Uh, that, that's a, a fairly interchangeable word. So uh, let's read in this first part together. We're going to start in Romans 15, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> Romans 15, verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the, the fathers of the Jews, that's the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So, so Jesus had a Jewish purpose and he had a Gentile purpose. As it is written, so Paul is, is tipping us off here in verse 9 that he's quoting from the Old Testament. You'll probably see in your version of the scriptures, this is offset a little bit. That's just showing he's quoting from the scriptures, which at this point in history is the Old Testament. Uh, so back in the middle of verse 19, as it is written, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So he's calling the Gentile peoples to rejoice together with the Jews. And again, verse 11, quoting Psalm 117, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, I think Paul's making a point here, <laughs> over and over. He says, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Quoting Isaiah 11. 
So Paul is making this point over and over. It's rooted in the Old Testament that God's purpose in blessing his people is to draw all nations to himself so that they might know and worship him. So even in the Old Testament, which focuses so heavily on the story of Israel, God's chosen people, this was God's plan. And it was always his plan for all nations, the Gentiles, not just the Jews. Now, they were called his chosen people for a reason. Have you ever thought about why they're called, the Jews, God's chosen people? Well, they were chosen to be the ones that through whom God would accomplish his his plan in, in reaching all the Gentiles. He, they were chosen for God to, to just back up his dump truck of blessing, pour that on his people, Israel, the Jews, and then through them to then bless all the other peoples. So to summarize this first part in Romans 15, our point number one this morning, it's really a continuation of the last two weeks. God's heart is for all nations to know and worship him. So point number one, God's heart is for all nations to know and worship him. And it always has been. It's always been the case from the earliest time of the, New Te- of the Old Testament on through the New into our day as well. So we see Paul rooting this in the Old Testament with quotation after quotation. And this is the, the big picture, the overarching story of the Bible where all of history is leading. It's God's plan to bless his people and then through them to bring all nations to himself. So let's pick back up and move into verse 14, and we'll see Paul describe what he did and what his own priorities, what, what Paul's were. Um, now, you don't have to, to um, just continue to, to, to track this word Gentiles. We'll continue to see this, and remember that's nations or peoples as well. Verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you brothers. So Paul's saying he's pleased with the Roman church. Why? That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So again, we see that, that Paul's passion and his focus was on the Gentiles, rooted in God's plan from the Old Testament. Verse 17, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Now notice in, in, in that verse, there are three uh, entities in view. There, there's Christ, there's the Gentiles, and there's Paul himself. Here's the relationship. Paul's aim is to bring the Gentiles to God. Christ is the one who does the work, actually. He's the one accomplishing it, and he does it through Paul, or using Paul to do that work. Well, how? How, does, how did Christ use Paul to do his work among the Gentiles? Three ways. Verse 19, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that, or with the result that, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now let's pause there for a minute. What is Paul talking about? What what does he mean? He's fulfilled the ministry of the gospel, and what does he mean Jerusalem to Illyricum? 
Okay, so let's, to, to get his point here, we're going to have to do something that's kind of like chloroform to some of you in this room, especially us men. We're going to look at a map, okay? So in the back of your Bible, there's all these great maps that we never look at. Well, this is one of those times that it's really helpful. So here's the region that, that Paul's talking about. You'll see this on the screens. Uh, he makes an incredible statement in verse 19. He says, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So he's saying that in the, the bottom right of the screen, Jerusalem, bottom right of the map, up through Syria, across Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, into Macedonia, through Greece, and then up the western coast to Illyricum, which is where Albania and Croatia are today. That's that region. So what's incredible is that Paul says, I have fulfilled the gospel. Your, your translation might say fully proclaimed it or fully preached it in that huge region. Well, that's like saying, I'm done on the East Coast. The, the work of the gospel is complete there. I'm moving west. I'm going to go west of the Mississippi. Okay, that, it's almost crazy what he says here. Well, what does he mean? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 20. When you have a question, when something doesn't make sense, you keep reading. Verse 20, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I've, I've so often been hindered from coming to you. So in other words, Paul's ambition is to preach Christ where nobody knows the name of Christ. He, he's saying, if there's a church there, I don't want to go there. If people there know the gospel, I'm going somewhere else. He, he sees people in total, utter, complete darkness, and he says, that is where I'm going. So one of the clearest things that we see from these last several verses, and this is point number two this morning, Paul prioritized unreached peoples. Paul prioritized unreached peoples, and we must too. So what do we mean by unreached? Uh, if you've been around New Life for the past year, you've heard us talk a little bit about the seven big dreams. So these are seven goals, seven dreams that we have that we, we want to, uh, to move towards and to see God use our church to accomplish in the next few years. One of those is to engage an unreached people group. Now, it doesn't simply mean to be unreached a, a group of people who are not followers of Jesus, that they're not in a relationship with God. Unreached actually goes a step beyond that. It, to help us grasp this concept, I want to share with you guys a, a short video that explains the concept of unreached a little bit further. So take a look at the screens, and then we'll talk about it together. If you run in Christian circles, you've probably heard people talk about the lost and the unreached. These are two common terms that Christians use to describe people who aren't followers of Jesus. But where do these terms come from, and what's the difference between the two of them? The term lost comes from a few references in the Bible. According to scripture, all people are born lost. It is a universal symptom of the fall. God created people to be in a right relationship with him. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve and created a separation between man and God. Jesus said he came to seek and save that which was lost. 
He came like a beacon, offering to rescue anyone who will admit that they are lost and that he is the way to be found. Those who have not yet received his offer are referred to as lost people. Now the word unreached refers to lost people who will most likely never have the chance to hear that there is a way to be found. People groups are considered unreached when less than 2% of their population is following Jesus. They often have no access to the gospel in their culture or language, which means that they will never encounter the gospel unless something about their environment changes. There are still large numbers of people who have never heard, people who live far away and are hard to reach, or people who are born into societies where the message of Jesus is not born. Followers of Jesus are still working hard to tell everyone that they can be found. But out of all the missionaries who are going and telling, less than 10% of them ever make it to the unreached people of the world. So what is the difference between being lost and being unreached? Well, in a word, access. Everyone who hasn't trusted in Jesus is lost, but not every lost person is unreached. Many lost people can pick up a Bible, walk into a church, ask a friend, search the internet, or even simply wrestle with the things that they've heard about Jesus. But unreached people either haven't heard anything about Jesus or don't have the access to material or people who could help answer their questions. It is a big task to bring the message of the gospel to the hardest to reach places. But as the Apostle Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they do not believe? And how will they believe if they haven't heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how will they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Well, all of us know someone who the Bible would describe as lost. Uh, maybe you're here today and you realize, I think that's describing me. <laughs> you would say, um, I, I guess the Bible would call me lost. And, and what you need to hear is that is not a term that is meant to criticize. Uh, rather, it's, it's describing a state of being. If, if that's you and you're here and you're, you're separated from God, you don't have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, you've not placed your, your faith in him and turned to him, um, well, well, we're so glad you're here. That's what new life is about, helping people find and follow Jesus. And, and for those of us who've found Jesus or, or been found by him, uh, we were all lost at one time, and, and we're still on that journey. We haven't arrived. We're just following him. Uh, so we're glad you're here, and we hope that you will continue to, to journey with us as we follow Christ. So unreached is, is lost, but even beyond that, it's lost without access to hearing the good news, to hearing the gospel, to hearing how you can come into a, a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So it, it's, a, it's a step beyond, and that's who Paul is saying here, that's who I'm going to. That's the people that, that I'm going to be focused on. So, so that was Paul. That was 2,000 years ago. That was in the Bible. But that job is not done. That task continues. Uh, let me share a couple of stories with you from recent history. Uh, there are uh, some great biographies out there of missionaries who took up the work of Paul in, in, in our 
day. William Carey, Adoniram Judson, many of you have, have heard some of these names. Uh, amazing stories are out there, great books that are written. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, one that I, I don't think a lot of people have heard of. I hadn't heard about it until just a few years ago. Uh, and, and this this is a, a, an autobiography. It's a little bit thicker than what I would normally undertake because like I told you guys, I'm a, I'm a slow reader. Uh, but it's just one of my favorites. His name is John Patton. John Patton was born in Scotland in 1824. And after his schooling, he had 10 really fruitful years of ministry in, in the inner city in Glasgow. And then at age 33, he and his wife Mary set sail for the New Hebrides Islands. Now those islands has, have since been renamed Vanuatu after gaining independence in 1980. And it's a chain of 80, isle, uh, 80 islands that stretches 450 miles long. It's east uh, of Australia, off the coast there. So they're just islands in the middle of nowhere, uh, but at, at the time that Patton went, they were inhabited by cannibalistic peoples. So just thinking, get in your head, Gilligan's Island, okay, think about that. If you don't know what Gilligan's Island is, ask some of the people who have the mixtapes, they can explain that to you. <laughs> think Gilligan's Island in the middle of nowhere, add cannibals to it, okay? That's where Patton was going. And he was harshly criticized. How could you leave a fruitful ministry in Scotland and go to a place like that? Well, in, in this autobiography, Patton recounts a conversation with a respected elder named Mr. Dixon. Mr. Dixon it was against his plans of going, and he shouted at him. He said, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by cannibals. And Patton responded. I love his response. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. <laughs> and in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Now, do you see why this is so fun to read? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a great book. It was true. There were cannibals. They did eat people. They had eat, killed and eaten two missionaries just a few years before Patton arrived. Here's what he wrote about them. He said the natives were cannibals and occasionally ate the flesh of their defeated foes. They practiced infanticide and widow sacrifice, killing the widows of deceased men so they could serve their husbands in the next world. Where do you even start with people who have a mindset and beliefs like that? I mean, where do you even start as a missionary? Well, if cannibals weren't enough, uh, Patton faced overwhelming loss soon after he arrived. He and Mary had arrived on the island of Tana on November 5th, 1858. It's nearly a seven-month journey by boat. And there wasn't a lot else to do, so when they got there, Mary was pregnant. You'll get that later. Um, <clears throat> the baby was born February 12th, and then suddenly, on March 3rd, Mary died after repeated attacks of fever and pneumonia. Not even four months after they arrived on Tana, he writes about it. He said, in a moment, altogether unexpectedly, she died on March 3rd. To crown my sorrows and complete my loneliness, the dear baby boy was taken from me after one week's sickness, the 20th of March. Let those who have ever passed through any similar darkness as of midnight feel for me. As for all others, it would be more than vain to try to paint my sorrows. He dug two graves with his own hands and he buried them by the house that he had built. He said this, 
The ever-merciful Lord sustained me, and that spot became my sacred and much-frequented shrine during all the following months and years when I labored on for the salvation of the islanders. But for Jesus and the fellowship he granted to me there, I must have gone mad and died beside that lonely grave. He pressed on with a few other missionaries to reach these people. Listen to how he describes their beliefs. He says, their worship was entirely a service of fear. Its aim being to satisfy this or that evil spirit, to prevent calamity or to secure revenge. So far as I could ever learn, they had no idea of a God of mercy or grace. That is what Paul is talking about in Romans 15. No idea of this God. No idea of the good news of a God who is gracious and who offers forgiveness and salvation. Well, threats to his life were constant. He says, My enemies seldom slackened in their hateful designs against my life. A wild chief followed me around for four hours with his loaded musket. And though often directed towards me, God restrained his hand. I spoke kindly to him and attended to my work as if he had not been there, fully persuaded that my God had placed me there and would protect me until my allotted task was finished. God even used Patton's dogs to protect him. Uh, any dog owners in the room? Yeah, this is Asheville. Pretty much everybody's got a, got a dog. Uh, we, we joined uh, the ranks of you guys uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, we, we got a little, uh, a little dog from the Humane Society. Uh, did you guys want to see a picture of him? I think I was, I was sensing that from you. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll show a picture of you. So, uh, this, this is Boone. Uh, he's six months old, and um, so he's only pooped in the house once yesterday, so that was a, an improvement. Um, Carrie cleaned it up. She's, she's a saint. Um, your dog can be a missionary. Let's listen to this instance when Patton was attacked by two islanders he says both men raised their clubs and made to strike me but quick as lightning these two dogs sprang at their faces and baffled their blows one dog was badly bruised and the ground received the other blow that would have launched me into eternity the best little dog listen to his excitement about his dog the best little dog was a crossbred retriever with with terrier's blood in him splendid for warning us of approaching dangers and which had already been the means of saving my life several times now, will dogs go to heaven? I don't know. Can they be missionaries? Absolutely they can. Can cats be missionaries? <laughs> All I know is I've never read a biography of a missionary that mentioned anything about a cat. So that's, that's all that I know. Even amidst all these dangers, all these difficulties, God used Patton and his fellow missionaries to bring an amazing transformation. They translated the Bible. They started an orphanage. They trained Bible teachers, planted churches, along with, with peacemaking between warring tribes. They, they did medical ministry. They did anything else that they could do to show God's love and to communicate the gospel. And here's what resulted on the island of Tana. He writes, in the darkest moment, I never doubted that ultimately the victory there as elsewhere would be on the side of Jesus, believing that the whole earth would yet be filled with the glory of the Lord. But sometimes I sorely feared that I might never live to see or hear of that happy day. By the goodness of the ever-merciful one, I have lived to see and hear of a gospel church on Tana and to read about my 
dear fellow missionaries, Mr. and Mrs. Watt, celebrating the Holy Supper to a native congregation of Tannies amid the very scenes and people where the seeds of faith and hope were planted not only in tears, but tears of blood. Can you imagine taking the Lord's Supper, the body and the blood of Christ, next to those who were formerly cannibals? Like that would add a new dynamic, wouldn't it, if you came to the table next time and they were standing next to you? That, that gives a whole new meaning. That that's the kind of transformation that happened among these people. What about the New Hebrides Islands? He's, he writes this at the end of the book. On our islands, more than 12,000 cannibals have been brought to sit at the feet of Jesus, and 133 of the natives have been trained and sent forth as teachers and preachers of the gospel. Today, 112 years after the death of John Patton, an estimated 94% of the population of Vanuatu identifies itself as Christian, with about half of those being evangelical. It's amazing to see how God used John Patton and others to bring this about. The majority of places today are not islands full of cannibals, but they are places and they're people groups with darkness just like that. And it will require that kind of faith and that kind of perseverance to reach them with the good news. What about women? Well, there have been many. Uh, some of you have heard the name Lottie Moon. She was from Virginia, not far from here, and one of the first women in the South to earn a master's degree. She graduated in 1861, having mastered Greek, Hebrew, Latin, Italian, French, and Spanish. And then she goes to China, <laughs> where they don't speak any of those. So she was brilliant. Um, my, my wife told me after the first service that uh, I didn't know this. She packed all of her belongings in a coffin because she was not planning on coming back. That's what she took with her to China. Well, she's something of a, of a poster child for the International Mission Board, which is a mission agency that New Life partners with. Uh, and at the IMB's headquarters in Richmond, uh, you can see a life-size stand-up of Lottie Moon. She is four foot three. Uh, this is her uh, with a friend of my wife's uh, standing next to her. So um, she was little, but when she lacked, what she lacked in size, she made up over a thousand times in passion. Danny Aiken writes about her in a book that I would recommend called Ten Who Changed the World. This is what he says about her. She said she repeatedly struggled with the fact that there were so few missionaries going to the least reached and especially not many men. She wrote, November 11, 1878, How inadequate our force. Here is a province of 30 million souls and we can only send one man and three women to tell the story of redeeming love? Oh, that my words would be like a trumpet call stirring in the hearts of my brethren and sisters to pray, to labor, and to give themselves to this people. She didn't back down in her letters. She challenged men especially over and over about this work. She said, oh, that we, have, that, that, that we had active and zealous men who would go far and wide to the vast multitude of this land. I am trying honestly to do the work that could fill the hands of three or four women in addition to much, to, to, to much work that I must do that ought to be done by young men. Here I am working alone in a city of many thousand inhabitants with numberless villages clustered around or stretching away in the illuminate distance. How many can I reach? Take it to heart, guys. The situation hasn't really changed much. In most places where the gospel is most absent, 
there's a lot more women that are serving there than men. It hasn't changed much since Lottie's day. Well, after decades of ministry to some of the most unreached people in the world, she died at the age of 72, having poured out her life for the people of China. She came from a wealthy family, but when she died, she had $254 to her name. All of her personal possessions fit in one small trunk to be home, sent home to Virginia. We've got a picture of the, the trunk that, that had everything that, that she left was sent home to Virginia. Aiken writes, he said, 20 years following her death, Chinese women in remote villages would ask, when will the heavenly book visitor come again? Their testimony about her is how she loved us. You guys, where is Lottie Noon today? Is she, is she in our church? Is she at New Life? Where's John Patton today? Is there a possibility that maybe he is in this service right here in this room? Where are those Paul-type missionaries who will go to the unreached peoples of the world? Because that's the reality. There are still unreached peoples in our world, not just large numbers of people who don't know Christ, but entire people groups with little or no gospel presence at all, no church. So in some cases, not even anyone trying to reach them with the gospel. They're just in complete darkness, and there's not even any plans on the table for someone or some group to go to them. You've heard of the 1040 window. If you were here last week, Ranjit, uh, Ranjit mentioned it uh, briefly. Uh, so if you draw a rectangle from North Africa to East Asia, China and, and Japan, and go from 10 degrees north latitude up to 40 degrees north latitude, that's the area. And this, this window is significant because that's where the vast majority of unreached people groups live in the world. Not just countries, but the people groups. Not, not all of them live in this window, but this is where the vast majority are. So that's, uh, it's a very important focus. Uh, just one example. A few weeks ago, Chris uh, shared about Turkey. The Turks are the main people group in Turkey, but there are also Persians, there are Kurds, there are others in Turkey. In, in a country of 80 million people, the latest count is 6,700 followers of Jesus. That's one believer for every 12,000 people. That's what we would call darkness. That's what we would call unreached. Take North India where Ranjit is. And by the way, he sends uh, greetings to you all. Uh, he got back home to Delhi last Wednesday. Uh, he had one last uh, meal at Chick-fil-A his last day and then um, got back and his family was, was so glad to have him back. Um, but, but Delhi, where he is, 25 million people, less than 1% Christian. That's true for almost anywhere you go in the whole area of North India less than 1% Christian. Now, there are some, some rays of hope in there. There's, there's the church that, that he pastors and others like them, uh, but, but it's just really, at this point, a drop in the bucket. There's so many that are still unreached. Uh, missionaries are there. Uh, Ralph and Deborah Bradshaw from our body were visiting there last week, and they uh, sent a, a couple of pictures. There's a, a picture of a, a group of men who load up in a truck and they're just learning the Bible. This last week they were learning the Gospels and Acts is what, what they were they're teaching. And so they would load up into this truck and go out into a field to, to get a loan 
uh, and then they would start to go through God's word together to be discipled in it. This is just like extreme community group, okay, in the middle of India. Um, there's a, a young man who um, they told him, that they uh, told Ralph and Deborah that he was beaten up as a leader of Bible study. A, a gang came in and stopped the Bible study and beat up this, this young man who was leading it. And he's been spending months recovering from two broken legs. And through that time, he's received death threats, uh, but he's healing and he's ready uh, to start the work again as soon as he can. There are still many unreached peoples today, and they won't be easy to reach. But this is God's work. This is his plan. It's a clear priority of God's, one of his top priorities, and not, not based on on Paul, who was, who was kind of crazy. I mean, he just had this amazingly crazy lifestyle where he was just continuing to push out and to push out, but he's rooting that constantly in. This is, this is the heart of God. This is from the Old Testament all the way until now, and it's a clear priority for us as well. As we'll see in a minute, that doesn't mean it's the only priority, and it doesn't devalue or discount ministry to the lost even ministry to the found who need to grow in their faith. But it does put an undeniable priority on the table for us that we need to engage in. The question for each of us is, how? How will we engage in that? If we're not Paul, if we're not going to be one of those Paul-type missionaries, well, then how do we engage in this priority that's been on God's heart from the beginning? The, the God who we serve, the God who we worship, the God who we follow, this is on his heart. So how do we engage in that. And we'll get some help as we keep reading. So look back at this, this final couple of verses that we'll look at in Romans 15. Pick back up in verse 23. But now, Paul says, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Again, remember this huge region he's talking about. He's saying, I've got no more room for work here. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, meaning the Roman church, the Roman believers, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you. So he's asking, for their support. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So it's not just about helping them financially. He wants a relationship. Uh, these are his brothers and sisters, and he wants to know them. He wants to enjoy time with them before he goes on to Spain, which in the first century was a very unreached place. So that was his plan. One implication to draw from this, these last two verses, and, and this is point number three for us this morning, our last point. Paul was a goer, and he needed senders. Paul was a goer, and he needed senders. And we still need both today. So not everyone is a Paul type. Not everyone is going to be like John Patton or Lottie Moon. But hear me on this. Some, and some of us, have to. We still need those Paul type missionaries to go to the unreached. And our prayer is that, that God would raise up some of us here at New Life to do that. And then if God raises them up at New Life, then will the rest of us be committed to being in the work with them and to sending them well? Will we sacrifice financially so they can go and be sent well? Will we take time to go and to visit them and to encourage them and to be part of the work that they're doing? And will we be faithful and serious, committed prayer for the task that they have that can be so overwhelming? My hope is this. I hope that at least a few people from New Life would be those who would go to the unreached. Maybe a few of you in this very room would be those people that would go to peoples and places with no Christians 
no Bibles, no knowledge of the gospel whatsoever. My other hope is that, that all of us, every single one of us, would seek God to find what role he has for us in finishing the task. Think about the examples of Paul and Timothy. Their, their roles were different, but they were about the same task, that Paul planted churches, and then he would move on to places where there was no knowledge of the gospel, and then he would do it again. Timothy was the pastor of a church in Ephesus. So Paul trained him, left him there, wrote some letters back to him to encourage him and to give him more input. We call those First and Second Timothy. And then there were the members of the church in Ephesus. So while he stayed there and the members of the church stayed there, they continued to spread the gospel, do ministry in their region, and then support those who were going to the unreached. So Paul's work was done in that region. Timothy's work wasn't done. And both men had important work to do. They complemented each other well. So is there a place for New Life to do ministry in Asheville? Yes, there is. Is your role in, on the, the welcome team or in the kids' area valuable? Absolutely it is. Think about who are, who are the people 10 years from now, 15 years from now, who are going to go to the unreached? Well, they're in our youth ministry here at New Life right now. Who are the people who are going to start businesses that will be oriented around funding this work and, and sending people to, to be there for the long-term expensive task? Well, they're probably, some of them are in our kids' church learning Bible stories this morning. So if you are involved in that kind of work, if you're involved in discipleship of someone one-on-one, -on -one, if, you're, if you're serving kids, all of us can play a really, really important uh, job, an important role in this task. Some of us must go, but all of us must be committed to that priority, whatever role we play in it, whether we're primarily goers or primarily senders. If you're serving locally, be encouraged. What you're doing, if you serve, for example, with ABCCM, some of the things that, that Caleb was sharing earlier, if you're doing those kinds of things, that is necessary here in Asheville. It's like the church in Ephesus. They just kept ministering to their area. And then think about this. If, you're, if you are discipling someone and, and serving on a team, doing ministry here locally, well, if one of them becomes one of those who goes to the unreached, what are they going to do when they get there? They're going to do what John Patton did when they got there. After they shared the gospel and established the church, they're going to start ministry to orphans, to widows. They're going to start ministry to those who have different kinds of needs, addictions. Maybe they're, they're going to uh, start some kind of medical ministry. Any kind of thing you can think of, those ministries that we do here, we want to do them well, and we want people who are going to the unreached to be a part of them so that they can kickstart that where they go and the church is established in new places. So we all can have a part if we're intentional about God's priority of the unreached for this aspect of what he wants us to do. So the question for you and for me is, what is my part? What is your part? What part would God have you play on his team for his plan? If you're not really sure where to start, if you just need a thought of like, okay, wh what do I even do with all of this stuff? Let me just give you three really simple ways. You could start with one of these or, or one aspect of all three of these. Pray, give, and go. Pray, give, and go. So two easy ideas on prayer. Uh, this book is called uh, Pray for the World. It's by Patrick Johnstone. And what it does, just day by day, you can pray for a different nation in the world. And it will describe the people groups 
in that nation and the, the progress of the gospel and the church and what's happening. And you can just pray as part of your uh, daily time with the Lord. Uh, you could do that once a week as a family. This is a great resource for praying through the world. Uh, if you want to look at something more digital, uh, go to joshuaproject.net, joshuaproject.net. They have uh, all kinds of, of resources about unreached people groups. You can, you can learn all kinds of things about what's happening in the world. And then they have a, a, a pray section where you can have prayers uh, requests sent to you. There's all kinds of ways to, to engage and, and get that just kind of into your life to begin praying. Giving, our send offering is next week, and a portion of that will help fund uh, work among the unreached. Uh, you may already know a missionary or an organization uh, doing this work that you could support them and connect to that work personally. There are people uh, here at New Life that are, are engaging in that that you can connect with. Uh, we have, uh, for, for Go, we have trips that we'll, we'll talk uh, about next week, some opportunities that you could take a first step. And if none of those are really a good fit for you, we'll help you connect to something else that, that you can get involved and you can go. Um, one website to be aware of, to, to just jot down, if you don't have a passport, travel.state.gov. Okay, travel.state.gov. Apply for your passport is the first step. It's good for 10 years. Uh, so you can go ahead and take that step of faith and then see what God has for you in the next year, in the next couple of years, uh, as you get involved in, in what it looks like to be part of personally uh, this, this work amongst the unreached. Whatever it looks like for you, seek God on how you can align with his heart and his priority on the unreached. As we close, I just think with me, what, what if we all did this together, that we just all dove in together as a church? And I just, I don't want us to underestimate what God could do and how he could use us to do his work if we all dove in together. In 1900, the year 1900, the Korean Peninsula was less than 1% Christian. In 2000, one century later, 100 years later, there were 10 million followers of Jesus. And the Korean church is now the second largest foreign missionary sending force in the entire world. Just in 100 years. You've heard about Iran. Many are saying that, that the church is growing there faster than anywhere in the world. In 1979, there were an estimated 500 believers from a Muslim background. Today, many estimate there are more than a million in Iran. 40 years. So imagine a place like Turkey that we just talked about. What if 40 years from now, there were not 6,700, but there were 1 million believers what if 100 years from now there were 10 million believers and Turkey was one of the leading missionary-sending nations in the world? We would say that's, that's a miracle if that happened. That's the kind of thing that we see God doing. The question is not, will the mission be completed? Jesus answered that one when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So New Life, the, the task is before us and it, it's, it's not done. The question is, what part will we play in it? It's not if it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And now it's our turn to, to decide what part do we want to play in that work, to carry on what Paul did, to carry on what John Patton did, to carry on what Lottie Moon did. So do we want to join God in this amazing work? Do we want to be a part of a church that's, that's committed to, to this and, and it's, that's about this? I do. I think a lot of you do as well. So will, will we be that kind of church? I can't answer that for us. It depends on each of us 
what our answer is to that question. Will we pray? Will we give sacrificially? Will we go and will we send some of our best from our church? I hope so. I hope so. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you lead each of us? For those of us in this room who, who aren't, even, aren't even there yet as far as being in a relationship with you, God, would you, would you help those in this room just to see what it means to be lost and what it could mean for them to be found and, and the relationship that they could have with you and the great adventure that you could lead them on to leverage their lives for something eternal. I pray for those of us who, who know you and are walking with you that you would expand our vision for what you want us to be about personally and what you want us to be about as a church. And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that, that we're just one church of, of so many around the world, but that we would play our part and that we would join others uh, who are seeking to serve you and finish this task with your empowering and with what you can do through us if we're just willing and if we're faithful. We thank you for, for, for giving us uh, in Christ, bringing us into a relationship with you, and then not just leaving us, but giving us something great to live for and even to die for. I pray that you would just inspire that in each of us and give us a heart, give us a passion for those who have not yet been reached and give us a heart for the lost as well as each other and help us to see what role that each of us has to play. We pray this in Christ's name.